are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than The Title. I'm your host as usual, Jared Thomas, Chief Revenue Officer at Outside The Box Digital. I'm like, where's my brother? <laughs> where's my guy? It's the other podcast. <laughs> you know, they disconnected me. <laughs> the other podcast, man. But you know what it is, man. I got my brother, my brethren, your favorite CEO's favorite CEO, Chadio. What's good, baby? I'm just happy to be here today, man. We gonna have a we gonna have a good time today, man. Ladies oh, and gentlemen, oh. this is the one right here. We are gonna drop some gems on y'all today. Get ready. Get a pen and pad ready. Get a pen and pad. Matter of fact, wait, wait, where's where's the bell? Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna show you something too before Jersey. You understand? We we branding today. We branding. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't gonna get on me today, boy. We, we got your more. And what else can keep your drink cold with one ice cube for an hour that's episode? Right. But you're more, <laughs> more than a title cup. Get your more than a title cups, man. But we're gonna do a couple of house cleaner items before we yep. talk to this legend, go. this goat right here, man. Mm -hmm. First of all, shout out to our distribution partners, the Live Podcast Network, the first woman-owned black-owned podcast network. So Absolutely. if you want more black content from creators such as More Than a Title, make sure you download the app. And shout out to our uh, our executive producers. Real Block Films, and also shout out to you guys, the fans, the listeners, because we're growing and glowing week over week. So for the first time, listeners, more than the titles about a show is that talks about business life, and we yes. want to celebrate our people, we want to celebrate our culture, and we want to give the game back to our, our generation, so you guys can learn and we can all level up together. So with that said, y'all, y'all know what we, we about we, to do. We, and we unapologetic about it. Be clear, there's no apologies that's going to be given on this show. That's it. That's, that's it, it, baby. With that said, let's start the show. <laughs> I'm ready. So we here, baby. So let's introduce this legend. This brother comes from the roads of Alabama to dazzling red carpets across the Grammys. This brother has not only defied the odds, but rewritten the script on the entertainment industry as a whole. His impact on pop culture is nothing short of revolutionary and daring venture that only few would dare to dream, let alone pursue. Starting as a record-breaking sales professional, this brother transformed into a music industry titan, morphing further into acclaimed actor, professor, and entrepreneur. And right now, he's currently focused on film, television, and his latest chapter in this extraordinary journey. And not only being embodying what it means to be more than a title, his most significant achievement lies in his ability to empower others to recognize their potential. And let's talk. Let's introduce this brother, the legend, go. the GOAT, Mr. Dr. Matthew Knows, baby. Yeah, um, you kind of get used to people, you know, you know, talking about your accolades, but you got to understand that for the culture that doesn't get to interact with you on a regular basis, we need to see that we need to, Absolutely. We need to hear that positively and we need to see that positively more often. Right. Instead of all the negative things that they push on us. Right. Cause then that can change the narrative, right. Helps inspire people. So we, have, we have to create our own. What yeah. you're saying is so real brother, because yeah. history is his story. Right. Mm. And if we're not careful, we'll hear his story and not history. Mm. Message. Look, right off the bat, Dr. Moles, what's up, baby? You see, I told you he was going to do it right off the bat. I'm just letting you know right now, Mr. Knowles, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting we do quotes because a lot of times, like, our guests give us dope quotes. There will be that quote tomorrow. I'm putting it up. Be careful that history, we, we hear history and not sending you. We're sending you a hoodie with that. that. No, I'm definitely doing that. I love it. I yes, love it. Sir. But yo, Dr. No, yeah. let's start from the top, man. Let's, yeah. start to, let's talk about your upbringing in Alabama, brother. Right. What, what was that like, man? Right. 
Yeah, my daddy from Alabama, my mama from Louisiana. Um, okay. Y'all know that song Beyonce has? Which one? She has, she has she a banger. Of them. She got got banger. She got bangers, baby. Come on, Dr. Knowles. You know better than that. We part of the Beehive. <laughs> <laughs> I got a thousand. <laughs> You know, I grew up in a little small town, Gaston, Alabama. Okay. Um, you know, this is, I was born in 1952. Okay. Mm. And, and, you know, my parents were, 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 we were poor, but I didn't know we were poor. Because mm -hmm. my, my dad hustled, he had three jobs. My mom, she hustled, man. She worked as a colored maid, made $3 a day, convinced a white woman to give her all her hand-me-downs. And on the weekend, she would make quilts from the hand-me-downs and make $100 a quilt. Oh, wow. So, you know, they, they, they really taught me entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm third-generation entrepreneur. Uh, my grandfather was an entrepreneur on both sides. So I had an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. But the key thing about my upbringing, I never went to a black school. Okay. Mm. Think about that. I went to elementary school in 1968. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. 1958. George Wallace was the governor. Segregation in Alabama. So I had to pave the way for in desegregation in schools in Alabama, elementary, junior high, high school. My mother went to high school with Coretta King wow. and Andrew Young's wife. They all were there in Marion, Alabama. So my mom took the torch uh, I've been beaten. I've been spit on. I've been electric prodded by state troopers. So I really, really uh, had a different experience. People talk about the black power and they talk about integration and they talk about, you know, where we are today. But I had to live through that. I had to survive through that. It is a lot of black men and women that gave their lives so all three of us could be here today. Message. Man, that's real. Yeah, I, I love it because that's real. And and I'm glad you actually brought that up early, uh, Doctor Knows, because I was gonna ask you like, where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yep. But now it makes sense. I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you, like just hearing that story, right? To find out that you're like third generation entrepreneur, but to hear like what your mother went through is just it's nothing sort of amazing. Yeah. But when you go through that type of a struggle. How does your mind even focus on like the goodness of that? How, how did you not just focus on like the everyday what's going on in the moment? Well, you know, back in the day, we had black communities. We had uh, churches, we had doctors, we had grocery stores, we had gas stations. We, we, we had all that owned by black people. We even had black women do nails. Okay. Mm. So we had a black community. We don't have that today. Absolutely. And so, you know, in the daytime, I was in a white environment, but I would come home to my black environment, my core. And I'm very proud of my blackness. You know, proud of my dad. He was a truck driver. He convinced the white folks to, he made $30 a week, but he convinced them, to let him keep that truck all the time. He would go tear down old houses, sell the wood that, the aluminum, the copper. He would buy your old car, sell every part. And they would like quadruple their investment. Wow. My, grandfather, my grandfather had 300 acres of land. Check this out. 150 acres he would lease out 
to the paper mill in Marion, Alabama, because they needed to cut the lumber, the trees to make paper. Then he would go behind them and then he would farm. Understand what I just said. Yeah. These white folks paid him to clear off his land so he could go farm. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's, that's a, crazy. Wait, hold on. That's. I, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> 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 them to school. Yeah, when, I, when, I, when I hear stories like that, my first reaction is. Shit. I can't. I can't. Dr. Knows, I can't no, imagine it. I can't, I can't imagine, imagine it. that. I, I, I can't even imagine you having to go to that school in Alabama of all places. Yeah. And then, and then, because I'm a sales guy too, Dr. Knows, right? So I'm a sales guy. Your sales background is super impressive. And I also heard your TED talk about the highly successful traits of uh, the traits of successful people. Right. What, what are some of those? And how does that tie back to your background? What are some of the traits that you developed as going through that? Yeah. You know, my, 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 mainly my mother, because my dad was working three jobs. So I hardly got to see them that often. Uh, but my mother always instilled in me to be the very best at whatever I did. And yeah. she instilled with me that the sky was the limit and that I could dream and dream big. You know, we, we sometimes put Amazing. a lot of energy in ideas and dreams, but they don't move the needle. It, it only takes, it takes the same kind of energy to come up with the big dreams. But you can't have a million dollar dream in a minimum wage work ethic. Method. You got you beat me to it. You beat me to it. You know, you know listen, you beat me to it. I just want to trigger the whole night. He's ready. Dr. knows he's ready today. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, let me say this to you, right? Um my grandmother, she just recently passed away um, last year. She um, she grew up in the South in Savannah. A lot of my family's from the South. Um, my grandmother was alive for segre segregation, mm -hmm. and she really lived through that because my great grandmother was very fair skinned, right? And her sister came out fair skinned, but she came out dark skinned. Mm -hmm. And my uncle was dark skinned, so. Even her going to school with her own sister, right? There was a very big disparity between the way she got treated and the way my aunt got treated just mm -hmm. by the color of their skin, right? And I'm just going to tell you something. Those type of emotional scars, even to the day she passed away, she held with her um, the whole entire time. And I think that it's very hard for us as a people when we are scarred so deeply in that way to get past it and to try to do anything positive because we're constantly reminded of just the turmoil that we went through uh, when we were children. But Chadio, you bring up something real important yeah. that mm -hmm. I love talking about, those emotional scars, because mm -hmm. I had those emotional scars, you know, yeah. growing up in, with racism and dealing with it and all the things I had to endure, uh, even on a daily basis in the classroom as, as a child. Mm -hmm. But years ago, I understood that I needed help. And as black men, you know, we don't like to say we need help, right? You never and say it. Black, right there. And as black people, when you say therapy, you know, people think, ah, oh, he, he kind of off, he's nuts, he's crazy. Yeah. But I went to 10 years of therapy to deal with racial trauma. That's a mm. real thing. Wow. It's like colorism is yeah. a real trauma. Yeah. Yes, real trauma in, in, in our community. 
But I went and I started out with this white Jewish woman. She didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Mm. And I said, I'm going to get me a black male therapist. And I had to search. I found I was in Houston. He was in Dallas. I would fly up. And it was that important to me to have a black man. I sit there and, and talk who understood my struggle and understood my, my path. So I'm merely saying that we need to understand that when we need help, both emotionally, mentally, physically, that we need to seek it out. I mean, it's the same with black men. We lead in the death rate in cancer and heart disease because we don't want to go to the doctor. We don't want to, we don't want to ask for help, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, in our community, is almost considered taboo, right? Yeah. Um, to go and especially, you know, you went through a different struggle than than we went through because we're later on in the generations, right? Absolutely. So we are a product of what the work that your generation and the generations before us have put in, and we are reaping those benefits. So our struggle's a little different. Right. Um, but when, when we're still urban city kids, right? We came up in poverty. It is it is a sign of extreme weakness to admit that you are not strong mentally. Absolutely. Just, just admitting to the hood, the hood that you might want to talk to somebody emotionally because you are not strong, you might not survive. It's similar to the to the crying, like grown men, we're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to show yeah. some sort of weakness or anything like that. Like, you know what I mean? And it's okay, man. And we be having that shit so bottled up. Yeah. But it's just the opposite. It, yeah. Strength, strength is when you realize you need help. Strength is when you realize you need to build a team. It's not I, it's we. I mean, mm. we can do more when we're collective and have more people marching to the same goal than if one person tries to do it all themselves. Absolutely. And that's all that we're talking is, hey, I need to have a conversation to share how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, and, and, and get someone else's opinion. Yeah. That's all therapy is. Yeah. I mean, it's not a rocket science. There's no taboo with a, a crystal ball. You know, yeah. you're <laughs> having a dialogue. It's real talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As you say that, Dr. Knows, was there a mentor for you early before you got into the sales game? Was there somebody that put you under the wing to kind of help you through the path? Was there somebody that like that for you? Yeah, it, it was. It was for me. It, it was a number of people. Again, mm -hmm. living in the Black community, uh, on the street that I grew up, there was this minister, uh, Reverend, Reverend Walker, <laughs> I remember. Every time you saw Reverend Walker, he would go down to the convenience store. He, he would have a suit on. So I'm like seven years old. And I was like, Reverend Walker, why do you wear a suit? <laughs> go down to the store. Right. And he says, young man. It's all about optics. And I didn't know what the hell optics are. <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. Like, what is that? He says, it's all about how people perceive you and what they think of you. So I dress this way because I'm a leader. I'm a minister. That's what I want people to know I'm professional. I don't want them to think that I'm a, the same as, as them. And he wasn't saying that to talk down to anyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just saying, hey, I'm a leader. I have to play this role. I hold myself to a different standard. To a different, totally, you're right, Jared, to a total, yeah. totally different. So he was my role model. Right. 
Uh, Once I got into corporate America, I had this uh, white guy who was a district sales manager at Xerox. Mm. He saw something special in me and he asked me to come to these meetings with him. So I went to the meetings and, you know, it was these old white guys. And I'm like, how the hell am I sitting here with these old white guys? (laughs) They would ask me, hey, Noles, go get us uh, some coffee. Well, make us some copies of this. And then finally, eventually, they asked my opinion of something. And I responded in a way that they liked to ask me to sit at the table with them. Because before, I was sitting in seats behind them. Wow. They were only the president of Exxon, Enron, Shell, Texaco. So I got to see how the big boys think. And how think at a 40,000 view versus a ground view. Because it's different. Oh man, that's so important as a salesperson. I, I got to see the 40,000 view as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you don't get that view from me. I'll be honest with you, Dr. Nose. It was a, it was the same thing, a white gentleman for me, right? When I started, I was dead in, in, in a rut in sales. I'm like, man, I'm tired of doing the sale. I'm tired of sending a thousand emails. And it was my sales manager at the time. I said, I'm gonna use content as a way to build relationships and bring in leads. And we ended up selling 2 million, but he could have easily told me F off, Jared, hit your damn number. And I don't want to hear nothing. And we probably wouldn't be on this conversation today, man. Well, the thing thing about sales, get ready, hit your button. Are we ready? (laughs) (laughs) ready. I love it. He on point. I love it. He on point. He knows it's about to happen. You know we're clipping that, Doctor Nose. We're clipping it up. So you know, I I was in 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 corporate America uh, for twenty years, and and in sales and marketing was fortunate to be the number one sales rep at the the medical division of Xerox in the world. And that's tough. Three out of four years in the world. Mm. Uh, Wow. Fortunate, the president of Xerox Medical became the president of Philips Medical. Mm. Became the first black to sell MRI and CT scanners in America. And then went on my last three, four years with Johnson & Johnson as a neurosurgical specialist. Dealing with, in surgery, talking to the the neurosurgeon with new instruments. And he's looking up at me like, what do I do, Mr. Knowles? And I better be, hey, I'm black. And I'm in that room. I better know what I'm talking about, right? Mm, yeah. The key of sales, people don't buy your product. They buy you first. Message. There you go. There you go. There you go. And, that, and I'm glad there you said, go. and that was the whole point of going with yeah. the content. Because yeah. you're not going to buy me from an email. I'm not going to be able to get into Nike. But guess what? You can't get Jared. And when I get you. We can have a conversation, and that's when the real magic happens as a sales professional. Because I have the leverage now. If you come to me, I have the leverage as a sales professional versus me reaching out to you. But most salespeople are trying to remember the features and benefits and not listening. Yes, listening is a key Facts. part of selling, Facts. so that you can understand the needs of the consumer, your customer. So you up there thinking, okay, this thing does this many gadgets and this many gadgets. That person is talking, and you miss something really important. Yeah. I'm going to start a new. I'm going to build a new division next year. Yeah, there's an op- you went that went right over your head because you're thinking yeah. you're going to sell him this one thing, and he's telling you there's an opportunity much bigger than that. That we call that commission breath. Happy yeah. ears and commission breath. You know that. We've all we've all had it, Mister Nose. I go front. I had a few of them. <laughs> I, I had a lot of you. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I wanna, I wanna, um, 
I want to bring up something that you said because I can directly relate to it. My grandmother, we live, I'm from Forest Projects in the in the South Bronx. Um, same neighborhood as Fat Joe and a lot of the rappers from the Bronx, right? Yeah. So my grandmother, everybody would come to her house. They call her Ma, right? She's like the old school Big Ma, right? Yeah. Um, but when you when you walk through the projects, and anybody that's been to my grandmother's house, they know when you walk through the projects, it looks like disgusting. You go in the hallway, pissy elevators. I mean, it's it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, as real as it gets. You walk inside my grandmother's house. A lot of people have to turn around and remember that they're in the projects because the difference between outside the door and inside the door was night and day. She embodied that persona that your reverend embodied, right? She, that house was pristine. A lot of my, my moral compass and my foundation comes from my grandmother. I mean, we couldn't go to bed with dishes in the sink. Nice. You know what I mean? We were in the projects, but not, it was, it was not a roach in that house. Like that house was always clean. And she embodied that, listen, just because you live a certain way, you don't have to live a certain way. Right. And just because economically you might be at a certain level, everybody in the world doesn't have to know that. So when she left for work, she was always dressed. You know what I mean? Pants, suits, skirts, suits, hat, fur. You know, she was always like one of the best dressed in our neighborhood. And it really reminded me of that story that you told me about uh, the minister. And she embodied that. She's like, listen, nobody needs to know what you're going through, right? Because they're looking at you as a person. So if you always present yourself in a certain way, then they'll accept you for that way. It's only when you present yourself in a different light that people will understand, like, okay, this is what's really going on. You know? Well, you know, remember, I started out by saying I grew up poor, but I didn't know I was poor. Yeah, exactly. The exact same scenario, because yeah. I grew up for years until I was, um, I guess I was about 14. Uh, we had a dirt road. We lived on a dirt road with an outhouse. <clears throat> wow. And around 13, 14, finally got the roads paved and finally got plumbing. Uh, so I've been there. I've been there. Wow. But I didn't know I was poor for the same reason. My mom, she kept everything pristine, you know. Everybody worked. Everybody was positive. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, arguments at my house. Uh, you know, mom and dad was in there in a different environment. Yeah, that's just amazing. Just hearing your story from going from that, brother, yeah. and then you just told us a couple minutes earlier, you were in the room with not, not just lead, industry leaders, but titans of the industry, right? right? Titans of the industry. So can you walk us through, like, how did you get to that moment? And how did you, how, how did you maintain those relationships? Because right. it's extremely hard to maintain those relationships. And I kind of want to segue too to how you bet on yourself and kind of ventured off and did your own well, thing. The, the, one of the keys, Jared, of success and I heard you say it, is relationships and, mm -hmm. and, and building relationships. Absolutely. Um, you know, I pride myself on having a, a, a nice Rolodex of relationships. Yep. And it's not that I'm asking people for, for things all the time. It's sometimes just a real relationship where, you know, it's just two people breaking bread and having a conversation. Yeah. Um, and you build on that. You build on those relationships. I know if I needed a million dollars tomorrow, I could call three phone calls, no more than that. Now I have a million dollars tomorrow. Method. Because Ooh. relationships I've built. I, I ain't gonna hold you, Doc Knows. I ain't gonna hold you. I probably couldn't get three dollars. <laughs> Can I borrow ten? <laughs> 
I ain't gonna lie. I, I and I got about three thousand contacts in my phone, but calling to try to get three dollars for money. And I and I gotta stop you too. You gotta buy you more than the title merch because we might not be here next week. <laughs> <laughs> just, get a, just get one mug. We just need one mug. Just get one mug or two, and then we be there. Gotta get the DNA of achievers. Yeah, we putting up. We putting up the link. Inside the uh, the bio, the comments, make sure y'all go, y'all yeah. go, caught where you get your books, Kindle, Amazon, all that. You know, Jared, Jared makes a point about this. Um, Dr. knows all the times about when he was in sales, right? Um, when he first started sales, one of the, the, the biggest things they would ask him is, Who's in your black book? Yeah, right? It wasn't even about the numbers that he were doing, and he was doing good numbers, but he would always mention they would say to him, But who's in your black book? But who can you call? Right, you know, yeah, and then. Yeah. And, and, and and th- and that's what happened too, Mister No. So yeah. that's when we went on the when it slipped when it switched. When I end up getting the people, like I end up having a successful podcast, I end up bringing people on the show to try to generate revenue. We generated two million dollars without a cold call, and it was like they couldn't understand how we did it. It was just straight from relationships. So when I went back into corporate, and they're asking me to utilize this, but I'm making the same as John Smith. It didn't make sense to me. Right. I'm making the same amount as you, but I'm out here getting millions of impressions. I'm out here taking time away from my kids, generating content for the business. Right. So what is the value of that? And I put a value on myself. And then what we did was on the back of our shirt. We bet on ourselves. And now we're one year in business today, me and my brother, and we're making it happen. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank Thank you, brother. Yeah, we we sincerely appreciate it. Appreciate that. I'm not I'm not being funny. I'm not being funny, Dr. Knows, but we're both parents, right? Yeah. And our kids are spoiled, right? They didn't go through what we went through. I ain't gonna lie, like they That's spoiled, right? Like, they don't fact. know nothing about struggle. This new generation, they have no idea what struggle is. And we 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 get on them so much about being entitled, right? That entitlement and understanding what work act work ethic is and understanding what people have done before you to get yeah. you to this point, right? But but after hearing your story, like we went through some stuff. But after hearing your story, now you went through some shit. It kind of wanted you went through some shit. I don't even want to tell my story. I I got a crazy story. But after I hear your story, it almost like it's almost like therapy, right? It it relieves me almost of what I went through because I'm like, damn, I thought I had it bad, but listening to your story, I didn't go through nothing like that. Well, it's something you just said. Also, work ethics. And you asked me earlier yeah. what some of the things I, I got from my parents. You know, mm-hmm. my first book that I just showed, The DNA of Achievers, 10 right. Traits of Highly, the word highly successful professionals. It, it right. starts with, with, with understanding and identifying your passion. You know, most people don't really know what they're passionate about. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. that thing you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night thinking ideas, crazy ideas. I mean, it's it's like part of you. It's like what fuels you. And most people don't have that privilege like we do to know and identify our passion. And I say this all the time. Get ready. Get ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> when you live your passion, you yeah. never work a day in your life. Message. Woo! Wait, 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 wait. We got a segue to that, and I got to say, you have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, most people don't know their passion, you know, and and, and what they end up doing 
is they end up doing a whole bunch of shit, you know, and yeah. they don't focus on one thing and being successful at that yeah. because they don't have a passion. They have hobbies. Exactly. Yes. They, yes. they don't have a passion. They have a lot of ho- hobbies. You know, I tell parents because parents are like, ah, how did Storage Beyonce so successful? I said, well, when they were young, you know, we would expose them to all kinds of stuff, science and all sort of stuff. And we would okay. watch what they were gravitating towards. And it was always music, dancing, that was their thing. And, and, and I, I can only say to parents, if you have a child and you have to tell them to go to practice, that's not a passion, that's a hobby. Mm. Oh, I, 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 I thought you was ready on that one. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I zoned out on that. I zoned out on that one. My fault. I froze up. Ain't and shit. Trigger, baby. I know. I froze up, baby. Ain't going the trigger, baby. I, I saw. Hey, Jared, I saw your eyes. Yeah, he was immersed. Yeah. No, but yeah. think about it, man. Yeah. I mean, when you have to tell someone to go to practice, it's, it's a hobby. Yeah. I mean, I've never had to tell Beyonce or Solange to go to practice. They bugging me. No one got practice tomorrow. I don't want to be late. That's what a passion is. And what coexists with passion mm. are work ethics. When you see people like uh, Serena or a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Tiger Woods, I mean, these folks practice, 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 practice. I mean, Kobe had this thing called 666. So six months after the basketball season, a lot of players, you know, they want to party a little bit, have some fun. Nothing wrong with that. But Kobe had a different approach. The six months after the season, six days a week, six hours a day, he practiced. Wow. And he called it 666. Six months, six days a week, six hours. I watched Beyonce and Solange put in that same kind of practice. I bet you Serena, after seeing that movie and Venus, put in that same type of practice. I guarantee you Michael Jordan put in that same type of work ethics. And that's what it requires. When you're passionate, you have these work ethics. Because you can't wait, man. I was excited about doing this podcast today. Yeah, we we appreciate you, Doctor Knowles. You know what I mean? I just that's real. As as an inner city youth, me and Jared, when we are growing up, we are passionate about things that we just don't have any opportunity and understanding that there is a future in it. I think that is one of the biggest issues for the urban youth, right? I tell this story a lot, right? I was all state in three sports, um, um, wrestling, gymnastics, and football. I'm all state in three sports, scored like 14 something on my SATs and then never went to college. You understand? Because it, 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 I had nobody to even sit down and talk to to even understand that I could take. I learned gymnastics on, on flipping on dirty mattresses. And I took that from flipping dirty mattresses and jumping off refrigerators and, and, and vacant lots with crack vials to Empire State Games. and st- You understand? Because uh-huh. we, we do stuff as hobbies just to take our mind off of the pain yeah. right. of, right. and escape what we are going through. But we don't have, unfortunately, the inner city youth does not have enough 
mentors and enough positive role models to encourage these dreams. So what ends up happening is we waste so much time just doing hobbies that by the time you blink, you're an adult. Yeah. And shit is real. You got a kid. You got you bills. Get, you got this. You got to go gotta to get a job. job. You can't yeah. dream no more. You can't dream no more. Dreams deflate, man. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest problem. We don't have these programs, and the and and we not this message is not being beamed into black and brown households as forcefully as all the negative things are being beamed into. That you are special and you are you know you have a talent and let's foster that. But on the flip side, I would only say too. On the flip side, I think there's a lot of talented kids in the, in from where we're from. But also their parents don't give them the push that they need too. Man, if you see them, like for instance, Dr. Knows, my son is in the room right now writing a script. Right. Writing a script. He's five he years is. old, man. Like five, five years old. He, he edits five. better than me, Dr. Knows. He's about to clip <laughs> this up for us. You yeah, know what I'm saying? He's going to clip this up for us. He's going to be yeah. running the business. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, it's like, I'm curious from you. I would love your advice. Like, how do you balance the business and fatherhood? Yeah. That's, it's tough, especially when I, I'm the manager. Yeah, like, like, how do you do that? Like, that's, you know, how do you do that? I need right. you to do the Sprite commercial tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we trying to get the money, right, baby. Yeah. 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 You know, it's really, hey, there's no easy way for me uh, because I had experienced a lot of things in life, corporate America, yeah. uh, had, had a formal education and psychology, kind of understood some of that. Mm. Um, I, I understood... First of all, to make sure my kids was not doing what I wanted them to do. That's right. A lot of parents say, you will be a doctor. Yeah. So my philosophy, you are you relate to this. I used to always say, hey, if Beyonce or Solange want to be a doctor, then I would say, hey, y'all go to med school. But when you graduate, I would have bought a hospital. Mm. <laughs> That, that, that's insane. <laughs> it's a, it's, I don't even know how to respond to something like that by the hospital. That's it's a it's a, the right. same thing. I mean, my right. former wife and my friend Tina, right. yeah. when she was uh, six years a, a housewife and got bored. And I said, Well, what is your passion? Right. And she said, I like to make women beautiful hair and clothes. And I said, Well, hey, go to cosmetology school. And when you finish, I'll open a hair salon. We made our first million dollars in 1985. Uh, we had this hair salon in Houston for 17 years, Headliners Hair Salon. We made our first million dollars. Damn! <laughs> and it was her passion. She, she, she did all the technical stuff. I ran the business part. I love it. Just, just like with, with Beyonce and Salons, you know, they're the artists. Yeah. And they are exceptional with the technical creative side. And I was allowed to, to orchestrate and architect and do the business part. Wow. I love it. I love it. You know what? You know what I want to ask you too, Dr. Knows? Because yeah. I would love to get into the business and negotiation because I'm a sell, my sales brain is working. But you I also on. You got a sales you got hat on. my sales hat on. I'm ready to get some <laughs> revenue. I'm gonna kill this next call. I'll tell you right now, Dr. Knows. But right now, but let me let me keep it real with you. I saw it in the yeah. Vlad interview. He yeah. asked you about, you know, Hove. He was like, how about a gangster? You said, man, how do you know I'm not a gangster? I've been in the music business for 30 years. <laughs> I said, nigga, that was gangster. <laughs> that was gangster. So you a G. You a straight up G. 
Hey, he shut up. He shut up after that, didn't he? Yeah, damn sure yeah. did, yo. I'm like, yo, ain't this a boss up? So I gotta ask you, man. What was yeah. the biggest negotiation, the most gangster negotiation, a deal that you negotiated? Yeah. What was the lesson that you learned from that? Could you walk us yeah. through that? Like, what was one of the craziest negotiations? Well, in in 2002, I sold, and this you can Google this. Uh, I sold Music World, my company, for 10 million dollars to Ooh. a company in London, Sanctuary, yeah. uh, formed the Urban Division and. We put out all kind of great records, Earth, Wind, and Fire, OJs. People don't even know that part of me. They don't even know the seven years that I bought all these young black men uh, in, that were managers in uh, part of our urban management. We had Mary J. Blige. We had Eve, Floretree, um, Mary Mary, Nellie, Mario, Life, Life Jennings. Uh, Beyonce, wow. Solange Kelly, all of the, that management crew, I was the head of that division. Wow. Wow. And, and so I bought back my company seven years later for $1.7 million. I sold it for 10 bought it back for $1.7. I keep That was a flip right there. I ain't going, <laughs> he said, I sold it for 10 then bought it back for pennies on a dollar. And yeah. and, that, and and the content came with it. So those, those wow. records, the records we made, you know, so that was probably one of my best, but you know, we've, I've done, I think uh, 17 L'Oreal deals with Destiny's Child Solange and, and Beyonce, right. uh, Pepsi, we've done similar, uh, huge McDonald deal for Destiny's Child touring. Huge uh, Pepsi deal for Beyonce. Uh, we, we've done a lot. When I came to the music industry, because I came from corporate America, the music industry were in the records business. I've never been in the records business. I've been in the branding and endorsement building. I'm about building brands. Message. Not about just selling records. Because when you understand your core business and you build that brand, then you can do touring in a major way. Then yeah. you can have a clothing line. Then you can have all of these different products. But you first build your core business and you build a huge number for your core business. And mm. then you sell them all kind of stuff. Mm. But how, how, do you, how do you make sure you get market value for your artist? Right. So at well, that point, as she's ascending, like how do you make sure? Great question. Yeah. So... Let's let's look at let's go back to in the two early two thousands. So a typical at Columbia Columbia record, uh, the urban marketing budget unfortunately was less than the pop marketing budget, and the only reason I found that mm. out is I had two white artists that I managed. Right, wow. and then I was like, how could these four white boys' marketing budget be more than Destiny's Child? Yeah. Wow. Obviously, that didn't go over very well. But I learned quickly. So let's assume I have a million-dollar marketing budget. Yeah. Say. I said, but let me call L'Oreal because if I could put Beyonce in the commercial, put her song, the single that we're working, in the commercial – Sony has a million dollar marketing budget. L'Oreal has a $25 million marketing mm. budget. Woo. Mm. So we partnered 
if you go back and look in history, we always partner with a strategic partner when we put out an album. Mm. That had a much bigger budget than a record label. Message. That's, and that's where the sales and branding jump. That's oh my god. That's genius. That's fire. That's genius. Yeah. Were, you, were you the first person to do those type of activations at that time? At that time, yeah. At that wow. time, wow. We did a lot. Of, we did a lot of firsts. Uh, wow. Yeah. The first single, of Destiny's Child. No, no, no. Uh, when Wyclef did the remix, back wow. then, the remix was just used at radio to extend the life of the single. Right. Wow. So I walked in to the president and some of his senior staff and say, said, you know, I like to put the remix on the album. We still have time. They all laughed at me. They wow. thought I was a dad. They didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Then I said, well, you know, I talked to BDS, Broadcast Data System. Yeah. Um, Back then, every time, still you scan it. That's the scanning. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I asked him. I said, "Well, look, if I have the same lyrics but a different tempo, could it count as the same song?" And they were like, "Wait a minute. Make sure we understand you. It's the same lyrics, same artist, but a different tempo." Nobody's ever asked me that, so they called me back. They was like, "Yeah, we don't think." There's no reason why. We, we would count that as the same. I said, well, I'm going to call one part two, the ballad, part one, the ballad, and I'm going to call the up-tempo with Wycliffe, you know, part two. That's how Destiny's Child out of nowhere became number one because both versions of the song counted at one at radio. Message. Crazy. That was crazy. <laughs> That's the mad scientist vibe. Hey, yo, so, so, I, so I, I've got to ask you that. I don't know if I, I don't know if you think of the same thing, Chad. What do you think about streaming right now? Yeah. What do you think about like how do owner or creators yeah. take back that ownership right now and get the value for their content? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really long in depth answer. I give that's you the a deep question. Yeah, brother, I uh, love that. Your perspective. When we get AI involved with it, and we yeah, know. with the deep fakes and all that other shit. Oh, oh man, it's crazy. That's Go a long. What we gonna introduce fourth period? And I love, I love to come back and talk when we have time about this. That's but the streaming, good and bad. The bad about streaming is anybody can now go up on a platform, on the streaming platform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back in the day, you had program directors that kind of streamed through what we were going to hear, right? And, 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 and now today, you've got to fight through this clutter of songs yeah. to find new good material. Yeah. So unfortunately, there's a lot of bad content out there. And that makes it harder for those that have really good content. Yeah. The other part of, about streaming is uh, we have to learn and understand all the streaming platforms, all the revenue platforms. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I, I teach at the London School of Contemporary Music. Yeah. Oh, shout out. And I'll be teaching at Pepperdine this next semester. So I actually teach what I talk about. And I'm constantly learning because I, I, when you're passionate, you put in the work. So Passion and you put in the work, man. Super yeah. dope. Yeah. So it's, it's just understanding also that the world is bigger than America. Right. Mm. You have to go over. If I was an uh, artist in, in, in the, the States, I would spend my time in London. Mm. 
I would spend a lot of time in London. I would spend time in Brazil. I would spend time in Africa because Afrobeats is going to be the hot. Africa is going to be hot. Afrobeats is five or six more years. Then it'll be something different. But you got to understand 7.5 billion people in the world. Why are you spending your time with 325 million people in America? Which is why I named my company Music World Entertainment. We mm. never approached it from an America standpoint. We approached it from a worldwide standpoint. Message. Wouldn't you think it's like the it's like it's like being in the NBA and going to the league in China, right? It's right. just home. You want to win home. It's something about winning here that just feels different versus think, other places in the world. I think it's I my banker really don't give a damn. Yeah, but I think yeah, it's no, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was real. <laughs> you know, devil's advocate, though. It's, it's down to the your resources. It is down to your resources, right? When when um, people decide to get into a career like music, like I've, we, I've been in music about 20, 25 years and modeling stuff. I'm in the studio right now. I still got my music set up behind me. Um, you know... You don't know. We don't go to school to learn this. You understand what I'm saying, Doctor? Knows like there are producers that have gone to school and learned production and learn this and learn that. But like I said, a lot of the, the inner city, we learn it from just watching each other or sitting in on a session, and we kind of learn it. But our resources are extremely, extremely limited. They're extremely limited. So you barely got enough to, you know, back in the day, we used to burn CDs. Dr. Knows, you remember when the, when the CD burners was out, right? And everybody was purchasing all of that. You know, I, know, I, know, right. I remember it was a two-sided double-dish. Yes. <laughs> right. right, but, you know, now everybody, I think, is giving out, like, flash drives and thumbnails, right? But I'm just saying, like, back in the day, you know, whatever medium was out when you when you were trying to come out, you barely had enough for your equipment or trying to record in somebody's studio to, you know, to make whatever music or, or, or product you have and try to get a, a buzz. Now coming up with some type of budget to go to another country and live is like almost impossible. But you, yeah, know, but, what, you but, know what you do? But, but you, you, read, you read my mind. Yeah, that's now, I'm saying that's now. That's, well, that's now. now. That's but for now. now, for any yeah, that's now. Yeah, I'm speaking yeah. of now because yeah. we didn't have the technology. Producers right. didn't have yeah. the Technology, all you need now is a computer and a mic. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you, you don't really need all of that technology to get started today. So there's there's really no excuse, really, for a young person because they come in in my class and they're like, I don't have the money. I said, but look at the shoes you got on. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you say that shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do not say that all the time. Like, right. I say it all the time. Like that—that that ain't real. You—you yeah. you, you just didn't see the value yeah. in investing in your career. You thought it looked better that you look good. Mm, that's a man. I can't. I thought you was gonna get, beat me to no, it, bro. You know, I, gotta, you know, I said that because in in this in this day and time, we live it in the fake it till you, you make, make it, it realm. You know what I mean? Because. Let's just say like rap, right? Rappers have a, a look, right? Most of them. This look, uh, 100 chains and fucking saggy pants and all that shit, right? So again, they're, they're spending their money to look like they've already made it as a rapper, right? Yeah. And, and, and to look like they fit in so that when they present you with their music or they say, follow me, you'll be more inclined to say, oh, he's somebody, let me do it, and not look at him like, 
look like you can't even wash your ass, let alone make a record. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what, Chad, the beauty, though, is think about rap music, where it started. And and then where somebody one day said, you know what, I'm going to put a live band with when I, I perform. Everybody's like, what? Yeah. Rapper with a band? Yeah. That's soft. And then somebody said, you know what? I'm going to sing and rap. Sing and rap. That's real song. It's the evolution. It, and that's what I love about creativity. Yeah. It constantly evol- evolves. Yeah. And it will constantly evolve that people think outside of the box and try different things. That's You're great. not going to... First of all, I, the first day of my class, and I've taught for 22 years, first day of class, I say, if you came in here to take this class to be good, don't come back tomorrow. Oh. Mm. I only teach greatness. Method. Crazy. I would give a shit about you being good. <laughs> right. I understand. That's a mindset. The mind- That's a mindset. Yeah. You know that when your parents are great at what they do and they are always positive and, and, and they share the, the mistakes and failures, but they're always striving for greatness. I mean, that's contagious. And that's what we have to do. And that's what I applaud. I applaud the hell out of both of you for having a show that's not clickbait. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. You try to really educate and motivate Young brothers and sisters, regardless of what lifestyle they live. Yeah, you know, ain't nobody, you know, I'm not judgmental. You know, I'm not saying, hey, you got it. You know, everybody, I think, with this new technology, and as AI come out even more, you, your son won't be in there writing the script. He'll be on AI giving us some keywords. That's <laughs> it. Hey, look at this script. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a fact, man. And you know it's so funny that you said outside the box, man. Dr. You, and you, and you, and you missed it. I, I didn't even hit it because I figured that's the name of yeah. our company. I knew you was going to hit the I, button that, on that, that one. Right there on the screen. OTD Digital. Outside the box. It's on this screen. Everything we do outside the box digital. That's the reason why we came up with the show, man. Because we want to do that. We want to give it back. Because, you know, Dr. Knows, when I was coming up in sales, I didn't have somebody like you, brother. I didn't have somebody. I came straight from the streets, man. I was working in BBQ, smelling like ribs. I got my first shot. My oldest was in the room. And I said, I got to get out this. I got to make it some way. And I don't give how I got to do it. And I did it, sir. That's why I like to share my story. Because I came from the streets, too. The yeah, only in Alabama and the South, the streets we call country, you know. That's that real. Our definition of street, you were country, you yeah. know. But we had streets, we had to go through the same thing. And and I got through that. And, and so I realized that you can get through that. Yeah, and getting through it, it makes you yeah. makes you better for it. And that, but that's why we appreciate you because this platform only gets better, brother, because of people like you sharing your story. And it's people that's like that's in our chats right now. You see the chat lines lighting up, man. Yeah. That they want to ask you stuff and they want to see just to see you with us, brother, yeah. means a lot, man, for the culture. Well, I'm gonna come back because I like what I love what you're doing. Uh, Thank we, you, we, that we means a lot, brother. That means a lot, man. I got a question for you, Doctor Knows. This is uh, you know, this is this is a big debate that we go through a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are formally trained and educated, what what value system do you give in today's time versus 
going to college and becoming formally trained in the job versus trying to get an internship and getting into the job market directly. What what value system do you Man, give us? There's a big yeah, there's a big disparity between going to school, spending all that money, you know, because because the numbers game is you spend all the money, you go in debt, credit card debt, school debt, and then you come out and get a job in the other field that your, your degree isn't even in. You know what I mean? Most people, most Americans do that. So what's the value system that you provide on on-the-job training and internships? The short version of that is, you know, that we used to have the STEM for science, technology, yes. engineering, and, and, and I and many other people fought very hard to change STEM to STEAM. Okay. The A is for arts because okay. the academics and, and academia don't really give the love to arts. Right. So even when my kids were young, my teachers, I don't know why they spending all that time with music. They ain't gonna never do nothing. You know, it's that negativity Crazy. about the arts. Sure is. Crazy. I tell everyone, I've had, a, this is my 34th year with Music World. I've had over that time two, three hundred employees around the world. I have never one time in an interview asked somebody what their degree was. Mm. And I tell you, I don't care. My, my first question is, A, what is your knowledge? If you come to me to talk to me marketing, what experience do you have in marketing? And you say, I don't have any, but I have an MBA. And then somebody else come, I didn't get a degree, but I worked at, uh, I don't know, Microsoft and marketing for five years, 10 years. I'm going to hire that person. Yeah, that Absolutely. Is. Absolutely. The, with the experience. Now, how do you get an edge is having both. And how do you get both mm. is exactly what Chadio said is yeah. the best number one class in, in college is internship. Yeah. Yeah. There and, you go. You know, unfortunately, HBCUs, we have to do a better job in yeah. interns. Creating a pipeline. Providing internship for our students because yeah. that's where you learn and then you get to apply the book knowledge. But then, you know, nothing. One of the reasons I got in education is to hear students say, I have this professor teaching me entrepreneurship, but he or she never owned a business. Mm. Pisses me off. Like, how can you teach entrepreneurship and you never own the business? Talk about it. Talk about right. it. Right. Talk and about I, it. I know I'm making people uncomfortable, but that's what I do. But wait, but wait, you know, when the next time, listen, the next time you hear that, that type of question, Dr. Knows, just be like, What the f is wrong with this guy, man? Get him in or what? <laughs> and you know what's so funny that you said that too, bro? We actually had Dr. Marcus Collins on. Yeah. And he worked for Music World and he gave us yeah. a story and, and told us about the great experience of him hiring you. Are yeah. you hiring him and all that? Man, yeah. He's such a great dude, man. Shout out to Dr. Marcus Collins. Shout out to Dr. Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. I'm so, so proud of Marcus and what yeah. he's accomplished. Yeah, he's so real, man. Love that, and, brother. You know, at this point in my life, I'll be 72 years old in three weeks. And, Congrats, and uh, early, early, early happy, happy birthday. birthday. We got to yeah. interrupt you. Happy birthday in the wait, comments. Wait. No. Let, me, let me say why we got to do it, Dr. Knows, because health is the new wealth. I don't care how much money you worth. If, you, if you're not in good health mentally and spiritually, you don't have anything. So you yeah. look like you're in great health. I would have never guessed 72. I'm just being honest with black don't crack. Let me just black uh. don't crack. Black don't crack. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, I, I would have never guessed 72. You look, you yeah. look great. Oh, bless, brother. I feel great. Uh, yeah. You know, had several basketball surgeries, but hey, I enjoyed playing the game, you know. Right. But uh, health is, I, you can't have wealth without health. Right. And, and you don't want to, as you get older, become a liability. Yeah. But I'm just, uh, again, this is a real honor for me to just have this opportunity to talk to young brothers. Yes, thank you. And, and I just want to say this to all the young brothers and sisters out there. I know this is the most important election. It won't impact me. Yeah. It won't impact me. It won't impact my kids, two who didn't graduate from high school. One's a billionaire and the other one's a multimillionaire. Uh, but it will impact people 30 years and younger. Yeah. This yeah. president election will impact you in a major way, how your life goes on. Do you have freedom, financial yeah. freedom, or even just, can you ride down the street and not get arrested? Yeah. I know Biden's old, but I tell you, what is, if, when you don't vote for Biden, you actually vote for Trump and he, don't give a damn about you. Message. Really? So for all the young people saying, I'm not going to vote, I'm telling you, that's a mistake. Because that if you don't, if young people don't vote, I guarantee you Trump will win. And I, you know, lives will change, man. I, I just want to touch on that real quick. It's funny to see, and I'm just, this is on and off real quick. It's funny to see that we don't have the same um, ferocity that we had when Obama was trying to get into office with the get out and vote campaigns with all of our black and brown leaders coming together and doing the get out the vote campaigns. It's just funny to see that that kind of has died down almost to like, you know, none. Um, where, where is that, you know, right. that voice and that support system now? You understand what I'm saying? Because I, I don't know. We don't have that leadership. Yeah. We don't Absolutely. have that leadership. Yeah. And for all the Biden folks that I hope that are listening, all you got to do Put on your platform, yeah, that you're gonna legalize cannabis. You <laughs> <laughs> got my vote, Doc. All these young people voting. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> and I'm like, why can't they figure this out? <laughs> you want to get the young people just put right. that on your platform and stimulus too. We was eating crab legs, shrimp. Shout out. That's it. <laughs> We were, we were eating good, Doc. Yeah, but, but, but Doc, we, before we yeah, go, we just want to yeah. just want to give you flowers, too, brother. First of all, thank you for coming on this platform, brother. Man. And just want to let you know, we created this for freedom, and everything that you said is the reason why we sacrificed what we sacrificed. I got I like my young brother behind you. Yeah, 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 my yeah. baby right here. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Doctor Nose. Hi, Doctor Nose. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my Doctor Nose. You know this when we when we speak, like me and Jared are actually related, but we yeah. ten toes down. We don't we don't really compromise. Like I said, we unapologetic. We owe it. That's my godson, right? We owe it to that next generation to pay it forward for the things that you have done and the things that people before you have done. We owe it. We had to create this platform because there's not enough platforms like this to get the black voice out, right? Without filter. And that's why we are going astray because the message is not being projected. 
That's it. So and that's why we're all more I'm than the title. I'm making a commitment right now that yeah. I would love to be invited back. So, oh, absolutely. You got to open it. Please, please, please let the people know where they can find you. Um, that anybody that wants they can to go to MatthewKnowles.com and they can find all my social media. I, I personally feedback on LinkedIn. That's, that's okay. my, my favorite. Uh, you can book me to speak. That's my passion. It's, right. it's motivating and educating. But it's simplematthewknowles.com. Um, yeah. And then lastly, and we'll yeah. talk about this next time. There's, yeah. remember we talked about his story versus history? Yes. If I don't clarify, because I used to sit in the back and I didn't need the accolades. And, but his story is Matthew Knowles was there with Beyonce with Destiny's Child. Don't forget, folks, that her first three albums and you can compare the numbers of her first three versus the last three, but her first three albums, I was her manager and I had a partnership with Columbia Records. Right. And so I, I just have to remind people that Beyonce's career, I've been part of it for 25 years, not just the Destiny's Child part. See, there's a certain group of people would want you to forget that I did that. Yeah. Now we not we like I told you when before you came on the show, Doctor Knows. Like I said, if you notice, we didn't bring up Beyonce at all because we already did our research on you and we knew that your story was phenomenal. You understand what I'm saying? And and we applaud you because we are trying. Be clear, we are trying to create the cheat code that you created to give our children a better life where financial freedom is is, is afforded to them, and they don't and they can be whatever they want to be earnestly, right? Without having to worry about, you know, can I be the best violinist in the world or whatever, right? So so we appreciate you for that, but. You are so much more. You represent the black man in the household. How about that? We talk about that every show. You represent a strong black man that had a family in his household, and you show the value of a strong black man and what he can accomplish when he is home and he is fucking giving his everything to his family. That's more important than anything else for Absolutely. our community. Absolutely. For our community. Right. And let's talk more about that next time. Absolutely. So, so I look forward. Yeah. I got to run to a, yeah. something else here, but I enjoyed it and look forward. And uh, young man, what's your name? Case. All right. Say, say thank you for joining. Thank, thank you for joining more than the title. Yeah. All right. All right. Get out of here. Listen, I want to, I just want to wish a special happy birthday to my oldest. I got two boys. He's 22 years old today. CJ, I love you. He's named after me. He's overseas right now in Bahrain. Uh, he's a part of the army. He's defending our country. He followed behind me. I'm a Marine, but he's in the service, you know, so shout out to all the military and the veterans. We appreciate your service. Happy birthday to my son. We love you. Dr. Knowles, the man, the myth. Love, the love, Thank love. You. More than the title. Thank there you. it go, baby. You. We out. We out. Oh,